Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon. It is drive time with Elliot Danker, Timothy Go, and Chua Tian Tian. Time now for In the Spotlight. Where we talk about food. Very nice. As <laughs> food I supplies. Try to, digesting my lunch and starting to slouch and feel lazy. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. It's going to hit me soon as well. I do have my lunch just before the show. Yeah, I saw. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway, feeding people here in Singapore, it's tough. Yeah. Because, well, we import about 90% of our food food supplies. Remember when Malaysia halted the chicken mm-hmm. export? It was scary when you hear about it in the news and many yeah. people not knowing that there are actually Brazilian uh, frozen yeah. chicken, a lot of them in the frozen section. Yeah, and at the time it's like, what, what, $70 chicken being sold yes. at supermarkets? Gosh. Uh, so you can see why food security is so urgent uh, in recent years. And to add to that, of course, the world population is growing as well. Resources are shrinking. And, uh, well, as of last count, there's about 8 billion people on the planet we mm. need to feed. Yeah. Uh, so no surprise that agricultural technology or agri-tech has become quite important than ever before. So, you know, how can these agri-tech food solutions offer a route to deal with this food security problem? <laughs> on line with us uh, this afternoon is Phil Cullen, who is the co-founder and partner for Mandalay. Phil, good afternoon. How are you? Yes, good afternoon. I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for having me on the show as well. Phil, let's talk about the evolution of agri-food tech uh, sector. How has it evolved? Where did it start? Where are we now in in this uh, journey? Yeah, fantastic. I mean, probably not worth going back thousands of years of uh, evolution. <laughs> would, you, would you call in, that agri-tech, though, from thousands of years ago? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think I think that's a, that's an interesting part of the conversation because we tend to think of technology as you know anything that's machinery and mm-hmm. digital and whatnot, whereas we're actually seeing a lot of innovation in the agriculture space now that it's going back to regenerative practices, traditional practices, you know, with a view on sustainability and increased nutrition and whatnot, then, you know, whilst you may not call that agri-tech, you would still call that agri-food innovation. So mm-hmm. probably, uh, you know, a different, a different discussion, but uh, the, you know, the, the sort of the agri-food take waves that we've seen over the last probably half, 50 years or so has been, you know, in multiple waves that have gone hand in hand with our industrialization of our society. So, you know, a mechanization of farm equipment, all kinds of tractor-based and automation uh, solutions, and then reaching to a wave of digital technologies that now really enable every aspect of our farms and of our farming systems. We say jokingly in Australia here, I'm based in Brisbane in Australia, and we say here jokingly that, you know, farmers these days can manage their farm uh, from their mobile phones. Like we use, you know, apps for everything else. And so we're very much at that, you know, at that space now where a lot of these things have reached real maturity in terms of the amount of digital technologies and automation technologies that are happening on farm. And where I feel like at this stage, we've come to a point where we're trying to understand how we can we can use all of these technologies to increase the value and efficiency and safety and food security of our agri and sustainability of our agri-food systems as a whole. And, you know, that's one of the things that we're really excited about, you know, in the next in the next period of time is how do we think about these things as systems-based solutions rather than, you know, farm by farm or farmer by farmer or crop by crop or year by year and so on. 
Mm. Would you mind if I, I took a step back, uh, Phil? Um, you know, I mean, I know you talked about all the tech solutions that are available now, but you know, in the in the decades leading up to this, was this food security issue always going to happen, or is it something that we've only started to take notice of in recent years, especially with supply demand geopolitical setbacks? Yeah, so I, I think the, the common narrative in in our spaces is that the world produces enough food. Uh, to feed the entire world. And so, you know, scarcities that we're seeing are, are as a result of other things rather than the production systems themselves. There's nuances in this because obviously there's the quality of food as well. There's the nutritional value of food as well. There's been, you know, obviously decades of fast food and sort of degradation in nutrition as well. But mm. regardless of that, you know, the, the, the common idea is that we produce enough food. It's mm. just not evenly distributed or just or dis- distributed in, in an equal way across across the world. Yes. And, you know, obviously humankind has never been able to solve all of the conflicts in the world. So, yeah. you know, do we see this coming? Yes. Are we going to be able to solve this in any, you know, kind of near future? Probably no from that perspective. But, you know, again, going back to that systems-based um, ap- approach I mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would like to think that we're doing a lot of things in recent years that are really helping. With- so how does technology play a role then in solving this problem and challenges? Yeah. Uh, so I guess the, probably the short answer to that is, everything can be more connected, right? We know in other sectors, not just Mm -hmm. in agriculture, that, you know, data can flow across entire value chains, which means that collaborations across those value chains can exist in ways that were uh, previously uh, not possible. Now, that requires a whole heap of collaboration Mm -hmm. across those value chains. And, you know, it starts, you know, and just just to kind of sketch a picture here for our agri-food system, what we, you know, what we would like to think is saying, well, we've got the inputs, you've got the on-farm activities, then you sort of got the farm gate, you know, sales, then you've got a whole heap of processing and logistics, and then you've got the whole food side to distribution, retail, and whatnot. And all of that is counted in the, in the system. How do we make sure that everything, all the information, let's say, and, and data um, is captured at every point along the way on various parameters, um, you know, a prediction of supply, quality, you know, traceability and provenance, um, and, and all these kind of measurements in ways that the entire food system can have a really good understanding of what's coming, um, how to prepare, how to plan for certain, you know, scar- you know, supply and demand, you know, issues along the way, which then will allow us to see what information, will, will allow us to have the information required to make our supply chains, you know, better prepared, you know, for variations in those, um, hence making them more resilient. I mean, there's a lot of talk around more resilient supply chains, and that's exactly what we mean. It's like we mean that we have more options, we have more visibility on the data across those value chains. So that technology uh, sits at every step of the process, you know, from sensors on farm to quality, uh, automated quality assurance across processing to uh, understanding exactly supply and demand and map our, you know, sh- uh, fresh produce and shelf life mm. uh, based on that. And so, um, yeah, all these things, all these things are happening and there's quite a, quite a bit of technology, probably you know, one of one of the things that will be required is, is a level of aggregation across across all of these because there are so many solutions out there. But that does add another layer of concern. In the past, what used to be just geopolitical or shipping routes delays, now you've got the exposure to cyber crime as well. When you've input so much technology, is there enough talent to fill this gap as well? 
Um, so cybersecurity is a huge, a huge concern across agri-food as well. It feels a bit counterintuitive to think of a farmer of having to think about cybersecurity <laughs> issues, but it is, um, and it is a, it is a narrative that is very, you know, very common here, especially in Australia. I'm actually currently in um, in Adelaide at a conference called Evoke Ag. It's one of APAC's premier agri-food tech conferences, and okay. some of the conversations that are happening here are space the next frontier for agriculture mm. you know what does you know data integrity and security mean along you know along our food supply chains and and you know realistically and this is not to paint a pessimistic picture but you know obviously there's sort of uh, economic and commercial sabotage that is possible but there's also all of the wars that are geopolitical issues yeah. can be played out on our food um, supply chains and that you know and that's very scary to think about it so what we're seeing in Australia is that a lot of the big players in IT, telecommunications, infrastructure, and we call, you know, in all of the big companies in that space, get very hands-on involved in, in agriculture and our farmers. And mm-hmm. it's everything from obviously solving the actual direct problems of connectivity, you know, obviously very different to Singapore where Australia is a large mass of land. And, you know, if you live anywhere an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, you know, or 30 hours away from cities, obviously having connection can be a challenge. So they get involved in infrastructure from that perspective, but they also get involved in local data centers, edge computing, uh, cybersecurity in our regions and whatnot. And they're intrinsically involved on a database basis to work with our farmers and our agribusinesses to make the data flows and the telecommunications more secure. Phil, let's bring this conversation back to Singapore before we end this interview. Let's talk about Singapore's food sustainability journey. What do you see in the future of uh, Singapore, especially since we import 90% of the things we eat around here? We we are reliant on, on the rest of the world. Yeah, you are reliant on the rest of the world. And so, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to think within the box in terms of how do you solve for that. But on the other hand, you can think of Singapore as such a big economic center for the region, a massive importer of all the food, and so a, hence a very, very important downstream stakeholder in our agri-food systems. Mm. Now, one of the things that happens with downstream stakeholders is that they often are in control and in charge of a big part of the last, you know, call it the last mile value, value add and value creation. You know, it's where a lot of the premium happens as well, and therefore they actually have a lot of, I guess, power to push back upstream down, uh, up the value chains. So, you know, whilst you might not be able to solve for the actual production in Singapore, you know, we've seen things like vertical farming and other things. And obviously there's, it, it, there's research we need to have in that space and, you know, cell-based meats and, uh, and, and plant-based proteins and all these kind of things play, play in that space. But, but what you really have as an economic power is, is, is the ability to influence how you make our food supply chains upstream better than they are you know, than they are today, continuously being able to improve them so that, you know, your supply is more guaranteed, but so that, you know, everything upstream is also more valuable, more sustainable, um, healthier, um, and so on and so on. Oh. Um, and sort of no one else on that, you know, within the value chain has that same has that same power. Mm. Uh, Phil, before we let you go, uh, could you let us in on some of uh, Mandalay's plans for 2023 and beyond? Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're still raising our funds. So we'll be raising our first funds uh, through Mandalay. So we'll be raising until the end of this year. That being said, you know we'll be making probably about six to eight investments uh, this year in early stage 
predominantly Australian agri-food tech uh, companies, uh, and we'll be looking at um, everything that is uh, on-farm automation, very big on sort of logistics, and again, you know, how data moves across our across our supply chains, including uh, traceability solutions. And we love food science, so we love to see you know new types of foods and products that come out of that. Um, and that will be the three sort of primary primary areas we'll be looking at um, this year. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us this afternoon, Phil Cullen, who is co-founder and partner at Mandalay. Uh, thanks again, Phil. Take care and have a great Wednesday evening. Thank you very much. You too. Bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.